Welcome to Drift Off, bedtime stories to help you unwind, relax, and drift off. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Joanne, and it's a pleasure helping you get restful sleep. You may have noticed that I don't have ads on the podcast. That's because I want this space to be restful. And instead of reading ads, I'd much rather read you a relaxing bedtime story. That's why I created this podcast. To offer you a calming, listening experience where nothing else is needed of you. Only a quiet space where your imagination can be free to drift off far, far away from your daily obligations and to help you ease into a restful night's sleep. So if you're enjoying the show and want to support the podcast so we can continue making more sleepy bedtime stories, check out our premium membership where you can enjoy intro-free episodes, you'll have access to two bonus episodes per month, a monthly guided relaxation to help you get sleepy, And as of most recently, you'll have access to the entire audiobook, Little House in the Big Woods, over three and a half hours of continuous storytelling to help you drift off. You can sign up today at driftoff.supercast.com or see the link in the show notes. That's driftoff.supercast.com. Tonight's reading is a couple of chapters from the storybook David and the Phoenix by Edward Ormondroyd. This was actually a request from one of my amazing listeners. Thank you, Vicki, for suggesting this magical story that was written in the 1950s, and I hope you enjoy it. So close your eyes now and begin to relax. Connecting with the flow of your breath. And as you rest here, give yourself permission to release any thoughts, any feelings that may be lingering from the day. Any stories that you may be continuing to relive or perhaps lingering thoughts or worries or concerns about something that may be happening in the future that really doesn't need your attention right now. And allowing yourself to relax, to rest your energy, and just softening, letting go, Surrendering the weight of your body to the surface below. And the more you let go, the easier it becomes to relax, to unwind, and to drift off. And so, as always, my friend, Settling comfortably under the covers. Take a full, comfortable breath. And as you exhale, relax 
and let go. Allow any tension to just melt away. Letting your body sink deeper and deeper down into the softness of your bed. There is nothing else to do and nowhere else to be. So just lay back, relax, and enjoy the story. Chapter 1 In which David goes mountain climbing and a mysterious voice is overheard. All the way there, David had saved this moment for himself, struggling not to peek until the proper time came. When the car finally stopped, the rest of them got out stiffly and went into the new house. But David walked slowly into the backyard with his eyes fixed on the ground. For a whole minute, he stood there, not daring to look up. Then he took a deep breath, clenched his hands tightly, and lifted his head. There it was, as Dad had described it, but infinitely more grand. It swept upward from the valley floor, beautifully shaped and soaring, so tall that its misty blue peak could surely talk face to face with the stars. To David, who had never seen a mountain before, the sight was almost too much to bear. He felt so tight and shivery inside that he didn't know whether he wanted to laugh or cry or both. And the really wonderful thing about the mountain was the way it looked at him. He was certain that it was smiling at him like an old friend who had been waiting for years to see him again. And when he closed his eyes, he seemed to hear a voice which whispered, Come along then and climb. It would be so easy to go. The backyard was hedged in, with part of the hedge growing right across the toes of the mountain, but there was a hole in the privet large enough to crawl through, and just beyond the hedge, the mountainside awaited him, going up and up in one smooth sweep until the green and tawny faded into hazy heights of rock. It was waiting for him. Come and climb, it whispered. Come and climb. But there was a great deal to do first. They were going to move into the new house. The moving van was standing out in front. The car must be unloaded. David would be needed to carry things. Regretfully, he waved his hand at the peak and whispered, It shouldn't take long. I'll be back as soon as I can. Then he went around to the front door to see what could be done about speeding things up. Inside, everything was in confusion. 
Dad was pushing chairs and tables around in an aimless way. Mother was saying, They'll all have to go out again. We forgot to put down the rug first. And Amy was making short dashes between the kitchen and the dining room, muttering to herself. And Becky was roaring in her crib because it was time for her bottle. David asked, Can I do anything? Hoping that the answer would be no. Come here, Aunt Amy said, grabbing him by the arm. Help me look for that ironing board. When the ironing board was finally located, Mother had something for him to do. And when he was finished with that, Dad called for his help. So the afternoon wore on without let-up, and also without any signs of progress in their moving. When David finally got a chance to sneak out for a breathing spell, he felt his heart sink. Somehow, in all the rush and confusion, the afternoon had disappeared. Already, the evening sun was throwing shadows across the side of the mountain and touching its peak with a ruddy blaze. It was too late now. He would have to wait until morning before he could climb. As he gazed up miserably at the glowing summit, he thought he saw a tiny speck soar out from it in a brief circle. Was it a bird of some sort? Or just one of those dots that swim before your eyes when you stare too long at the sky? It almost seemed like the mountain waving its hand, as if to say that it was quite all right for him to wait until morning. He felt better then, and returned more cheerfully to the moving. It was long after dark before the moving van drove away. Becky crooned happily over her bottle, and the rest of them gathered in the kitchen for a late supper of sandwiches and canned soup. But David could not eat until he found the courage to ask one question. May I climb the mountain tomorrow? Aunt Amy muttered something about landslides, which were firmly fixed in her mind as the fate of people who climbed mountains. But Dad said, I don't see why not, do you? And looked to Mother for agreement. Mother said, Well, be very careful in a doubtful tone, and that was that. You never know what you will find when you climb a mountain, even if you have climbed them before, which, of course, David never had. Looking up from the foot of the mountain, he had thought that it was a smooth slope from bottom to top, but he was discovering as he climbed that it was not smooth at all, but very much broken up. There were terraces, ledges, knolls, ravines, and embankments, one after another. The exciting part of it was that each feature concealed the ones above it. At the top of a rise would be an outcropping of strangely colored rock, invisible from below. Beyond the outcropping, a small stand of aspens would quiver in the breeze their quicksilver leaves hiding a tiny meadow on the slope behind. And when the meadow had been discovered, there would be something else beyond.
He was a real explorer now. When he got to the top, he thought, he would build a little tower of stones, the way explorers always do. But at the end of two hours steady climbing, he was ready to admit that he would never reach the peak that day. It still rose above his head, seeming as far distant as ever. But he did not care now. It had been a glorious climb, and the distance he had already covered was a considerable one. He looked back. The town looked like a model of a town, with little toy houses and different colored roofs among the trees that made a darker patch on the pattern of the valley floor. The mountains on the other side of the valley seemed like blue clouds stretching out over the edge of the world. Even the peak could not give him a better view than this. David gazed up the face of a scarp which rose like a cliff above him, a smooth, bare wall of rock that had halted his climb. Halfway up the scarp was a dark horizontal line of bushes, something like a hedge. Apparently, there was a ledge or shelf there, and he decided to climb up to it before he returned home. To scale the rock face itself was impossible. However, there were no hand or footholds. So he turned and made his way through the grass until he reached the end of the bare stone. Then he started upward again. It was hard work. Vines clutched at his feet, and the close-set bushes seemed unwilling to let him pass. He had one nasty slip, which might have been his last, if he had not grabbed a tough clump of weeds at the crucial instant. But oh, it was worth it. He felt like shouting when at last he reached the ledge. Truly, it was an enchanted place. It was a long, level strip of ground, several yards wide, carpeted with short grass and dandelions. Bushes grew along most of the outer edge. The inner edge was bounded by a second scarp, a wall of red stone with sparkling points of light embedded in its smooth surface. David threw himself on the grass and rolled in it. It was warm and soft and sweet-smelling. It soothed away the hurt of his aching muscles and the sting of his scratches. He rolled over on his back and cushioned his head in his hands. The sky seemed to be slipping along overhead like a broad blue river. The breeze ruffled his hair and whispered. The bushes murmured and gossiped to each other. Even the sunlight seemed to hum to him as it laid warm hands on his face. But there was another sound which now and then rose above these murmurs. Then it would fade and be drowned out by the breeze. Hard to say why, but it just did not seem to fit there. David propped himself up on his elbows and listened more intently. The sound faded. He had been imagining it. No, he had not been imagining it. There it was again. He sat up. Now he noticed that the ledge was divided by a thicket 
which grew from the inner side to the outer. The noise, whatever it was, came from the other side of the thicket. David's curiosity was aroused, but it occurred to him that it might be wise to be cautious. The noise did not sound dangerous, but, well, he had never been up a mountain before, and there was no telling what he might find. He dropped into a crouch and crept silently up to the tangle of bushes. His heart began to pound, and he swallowed to relieve the dryness in his throat. The noise was much more distinct now, and it sounded like... Like, yes, not only sounded like, but was someone talking to himself. Who could it possibly be? Well, there was only one way to find out. He dropped down on his stomach and carefully began to worm his way under the thicket. The branches grew very low and the ground was full of lumps and knobs which dug into him with every movement. There were vines too and some prickly things like thistles which had to be pushed out of the way without allowing their leaves to rustle. He progressed by inches, pushing his toes, pulling with his fingertips, wriggling with the rest of his body. At last he could see light breaking through the foliage in front of him. He was nearing the other side. A bunch of leaves hung before his face. He hesitated, then pushed them aside gently, slowly, and peered out. He thought his heart would stop. Chapter 2 In which David meets the Phoenix and there is a change in plans. There stood an enormous bird. David had been to the zoo, and at home he had a book of birds with colored pictures. He knew the more common large birds of the world, the ostrich, the condor, the albatross, eagles, cranes, storks. But this bird, its shape was like that of an eagle, but stouter. Its neck had the length and elegant curve of a swan's neck. Its head was again like an eagle's with a hooked bird of prey beak, but the expression in its brown eyes was mild. The long wings were blunt at the tips. The tail was short and broad. The legs, feathered halfway down, ended in taloned feet. An iridescent sheen sparkled on its plumage reflecting sunlight from the scarlet crest, the golden neck and back, the breast of silver, the sapphire wings and tail. Its size alone would have been enough to take David's breath away. He could have stood beneath the arch of that neck with room to spare. But the most astonishing thing was that the bird had an open book on the ground and was apparently trying to learn part of it by heart. David's head reeled as he watched this amazing performance, 
There was no need to pinch himself to see if he were dreaming. He was perfectly wide awake. Everything else around him was behaving in a normal way. The mountain was solid beneath him. The sunlight streamed down as before. Yet there was the bird, unmistakably before him, undeniably studying its book and speaking to itself. David's mind caught hold of a phrase and repeated it over and over again. What on earth? What on earth? But of course, there was no answer to that question, and he might have lain hidden there all day, staring out at the bird and marveling, had it not been for a bee which came droning into the thicket straight for him. He had a horror of bees, ever since he had once bumped into a hive by mistake. When he heard that dread sound approaching, his whole body broke into a sweat. All thought of the bird was immediately driven from his head. He could tell from the noise that it was one of those big black and yellow fuzzy bees, the ones with the nasty dispositions. Perhaps the thought paralyzed him. Perhaps he was lying on its nest. On it came, buzzing and blundering through the leaves. Suddenly it was upon him, so close that he could feel the tiny breeze stirred up by its wings. All self-control vanished. He beat at it wildly with his hands, burst out of the thicket like an explosion, and smashed full tilt into the bird before he could stop himself. With a piercing squawk, the bird shot into the air, flipped over, and came fluttering down facing him, talons outstretched, hooked beak open, eyes aglare. Completely terrified, David turned and bolted for the thicket. He managed to thrash halfway through when a vine trapped his feet. He pitched forward, shielding his face with his arms, and was caught up short by a dead branch snagging his shirt. He was stuck. This was the end. He closed his eyes and waited, too numb with fear to think or cry out. Nothing happened. Slowly, he turned his head around. The bird, although it still glared menacingly, seemed undecided whether to attack or flee. What, may I ask, are you doing here? It said at last in a severe voice. I, I, I was taking a walk, David said faintly. I'm awfully sorry if I bothered you or anything. You should not have come up here at all, the bird snapped. Well, I'm really sorry, but there was a bee in the bush here. I, I didn't mean to. The fright had been too much. Tears started in David's eyes, and his lip began to tremble. The bird seemed reassured, for its manner visibly softened. It lowered and folded its wings and the glare faded from its eyes. I'd go away, David mumbled apologetically, only I'm stuck. He rubbed his eyes on his sleeve. The bird looked at his dismal face and began to fidget awkwardly, 
There, there, it said. I had no intention of... I'm afraid that I... Stuck, did you say? Very easily mended, my dear fellow. Merely a question of... Here, let me look. It crashed through the thicket to where David was caught and thrust its head down through the branches. Its muffled voice came floating up. Take heart. There seems to be... Aha! Just so. One moment, please. Bit of vine. There we are. There was a snapping sound from below, and David's foot was released. He unstuck the snag from his shirt, pushed his way out of the thicket, and sat down weakly on the grass. Phew! At least the bird was not going to harm him. It seemed to be quite a kindly creature, really. He had just frightened it and made it angry by bursting out of the bushes so suddenly. He heard a flailing in the thicket, followed by the bird's anxious voice. Hello? Are you still there? Yes. What? There were more sounds of struggle. This is rather awkward. I... the fact is... I'm afraid that I'm stuck myself. Could you... Yes, of course, said David. He smiled to himself, a little shakily, and re-entered the thicket. When he had disentangled the bird, the two of them sat down on the grass and looked at each other. They hesitated, not quite sure how to begin. I trust, said the bird at last, that you are not of a scientific turn of mind. I don't know, said David. I'm interested in things, if that's what you mean. No, it is not. There is a great deal of difference between the interest shown by normal people and the obsessive interest of scientists. You are not, I hope, acquainted with any scientists? No. Ah, said the bird, with a relieved sigh. Everything is quite all right, then. I do hope that you will forgive my behavior. I am not usually so rude. The fact is that you gave me quite a horrible start. Oh, I'm so sorry I frightened you. Frightened, my dear fellow, said the bird testily. I'm never frightened. I do not know the meaning of the word. What I mean is, David said quickly, that you frightened me. This seemed to pacify the bird, and David, to heighten the good impression, added, Golly, you look fierce. The bird smiled complacently. I can rise to a terrifying ferocity when aroused. A noble strain of fighting blood courses through my veins. Not that I go out of my way to seek quarrels, you understand. On the contrary, peaceful could well describe my general attitude. Meditative. I am usually to be found thinking. I have a powerful intellect. No doubt you have noticed the stamp of genius on my brow. David supposed that the bird meant its scarlet crest, and he nodded. That's one of the first things I noticed about you. Indeed, cried the bird delightedly. You are certainly more alert than most. But as I was saying, I am usually to be found thinking. 
the first condition of thinking is solitude. And that, I fear, is a desideratum most difficult of realization. I beg your pardon? People, explained the bird, do not leave you alone. Oh, said David. He flushed, thinking that the words had been aimed at him, and began to get up. But the bird signaled him to remain where he was. I do not mean you, my dear fellow. I assure you that I am delighted to make your acquaintance. It is all the others. Do you know that I have spent the greater part of my life being pursued? I was chased out of Egypt like a common game bird. Out of the mountains of Greece, too. The hills of Lebanon, the desert of Africa, the Arabian wilds. No matter where I fled, people would come prying and peering and sneaking after me. I have tried Tibet, China, and the steppes of Siberia with the same result. At last I heard of a region where there was peace, where the inhabitants let each other alone. Here I thought I should. Pardon me for interrupting. Where? Why, here, said the bird, waving its wing toward the valley. Here I thought I should be able to breathe. At my age, one likes a little quiet. Would you believe that I am close to five hundred years old? Golly, said David, you don't look it. The bird gave a pleased laugh. My splendid physical condition does conceal my years. At any rate, I settled here in the hope of being left alone. But do you think I was safe? David seeing that he was supposed to answer no, shook his head. Quite right, sighed the bird. I was not. I had been here no more than three months when a scientist was hot on my trail. A most disagreeable fellow, always sneaking about with binoculars, a camera, and, I fear, a gun. That is why you startled me for an instant. I thought you were he. Oh, David cried, I'm awfully sorry. I didn't bother you on purpose. It's just that I never saw a mountain before, so I climbed up here to see what one looked like. You climbed up here? Yes. Climbed, said the bird, looking very thoughtful. Climbed. I might have known. It proves, you see, that the same thing could be done again by someone older and stronger. A very grave point. Oh, I see, said David. You mean the... Precisely, the scientist. He is, I fear, very persistent. I first noticed him over there. The bird waved its wing toward the opposite side of the valley. So I moved to this location. But he will undoubtedly continue his pursuit. The bad penny always turns up. It will not be long before the sharp scientific nose is again quivering in my direction. Oh dear, that's terrible. Your sympathy touches me, said the bird huskily. It is most unusual to find someone who understands. But have no fear for me. I am taking steps. I am preparing. Imagine his disappointment when he arrives here and finds me flown from the nest.
I am, to be brief, leaving. Do you see this book? Yes, said David. I heard you reading it, but I couldn't understand. Is it magic? No, my boy, it is Spanish. I have chosen a little spot, chilly but isolated, in the Andes Mountains. South America, you know. And of course one must be prepared. I am learning Spanish, so that I shall be able to make my way about in South America. I must admit my extreme reluctance to depart. I have become very fond of this ledge. It is exactly suited to my needs. Ideal climate, magnificent view. They fell into a lengthy silence. The bird gazed sadly out over the valley, and David rested his chin in his hands and thought. The mystery was clearing up. The bird's presence on the mountain and the fact that it had been reading the book were explained, and so natural was its speech that David found himself accepting it as nothing unusual. The thing that worried him now was that the bird would soon leave. Here they had only just met, and already the promise of a most interesting friendship was dissolving. The bird had taken time to talk to him and explain things to him as though he were an equal, and although he did not understand many of the long words it used, he felt pleased at being spoke to as though he did understand, and the bird knew all about faraway countries, had visited them, and lived in them, and had adventures in them for almost five hundred years. Oh, there were so many things David wanted to know and ask about, but the bird was leaving. If only he could persuade it to stay, even for a short while. He could try, anyhow, after all. The bird had said itself that it did not want to go. Bird, he stopped and flushed. It was hard to put into words. You're my servant, my boy. Well, I, I don't believe I know your name, David stammered, unable to get the real question out. Ah, oh, forgive me, cried the bird, jumping up. Permit me the honor of presenting myself. I dare say my name is familiar to you, celebrated as it is in song and story. I am the one and only, the unique phoenix, and the phoenix bowed deeply. Very glad to meet you, said David. I'm David. Delighted, my dear fellow, an honor and a pleasure. They shook hand and wing solemnly. Now, as you were saying? Well, Phoenix, I was just thinking, David stammered. It's too bad. I mean, couldn't you? It would be nice if we... Well, do you really have to go to South America? It would be nice if you'd stay a while, until the scientist shows up anyway. And I like talking with you. His face burned. It seemed like a lot to ask. The phoenix harumphed several times in its throat and shuffled its feet. Really, I cannot tell you how... how much you... Well, really, such a delightful request. 
Perhaps it can be arranged. Oh, Phoenix, David threw his arms around the bird's neck and then, unable to restrain himself any longer, turned a somersault on the grass. But for the present, it seems to be getting late, said the phoenix. We shall talk it over some other time and decide. Golly, it is late. I hadn't noticed. Well, I'll have to go, or they'll worry about me at home. But I can come up and see you tomorrow, can't I? Of course, my boy. In the bustle of morning, in the hush of noon, in the, uh, to be brief, at any time. And I'll bring you some cookies if you like. Ah, said the phoenix, closing its eyes. Sugar cookies by any chance? it asked faintly. David noticed the feathers of its throat jumping up and down with rapid swallowing motions. I'll ask Aunt Amy to make some tonight. Ah, splendid, my boy, splendid. Shall we say not more than, uh, that is, not less than, uh, fifteen? All right, Phoenix. My Aunt Amy keeps a big jar full of cookies, and I can have as many as I like. The phoenix took David's arm, and together they strolled to the other end of the ledge. Now, don't mention this to anyone, but there's an old goat trail down this side. It is somewhat grown over, but eyes as sharp as yours should have no trouble with it. It will make your travels up and down easier. Another thing, I trust you will not make known our rendezvous. Our what? You will not tell anyone that I am here. Oh no, I won't say a word. Well, I'll see you tomorrow. Yes, as the French so cleverly say it, ah, uh, well, to be brief, goodbye my boy, until tomorrow then. David waved his hand, found the goat trail, and started down. He was too happy even to whistle, so he contented himself with running whenever he found a level place. And when he reached home, he stood on his hands in the backyard for two whole seconds. <laughs>